Welcome to The Hive from Tejitosa Sustainable Travel, a podcast for meaningful travel stories. We invite guests who have traveled abroad for more than just leisure travel, be it internships, volunteering, or study abroad, either as solo travelers or as part of a group. We also talk to local communities who receive and host these travelers and measure their impact. This is a podcast chronicling sustainable travel. My name is Wesley Maraire, Business Development Executive at Territorial Sustainable Travel and your host of The Hive. I think at this point, we are all aware of the three pillars of sustainable tourism. But in my language, we say Zokororo Inesimba, which just literally means there is strength or power in repeatedly saying something. The first thing is environmentally friendly, the practices. Reduce, reuse, recycle, if I'm going to put it simply. The second one, protecting cultural and natural heritage, which might mean restoring historical buildings, saving indigenous species. The third would be providing tangible social and economic benefits for local communities. But these are my way of putting this across. Today I'm joined by Nikki from Trip Kinetics, and she's here to raise the bar on tours and activity space and how we can begin to leverage sustainable development goals in the way we conduct our tours and the activities. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me today, Nikki. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. You're not as excited as I am, but uh, <laughs> I am going to start as I usually do on these episodes by throwing the pointed question to you so that we lay it as a foundation. What does sustainability within travel mean to you? So really, I mean, what you've said in different words, to me, sustainability and travel means that we are conscious of our impact, both as travelers and as tour providers in whatever sense. Um, so that is being aware that there are going to be negative uh impacts that just inevitably come from travel, such as flying, for example. Um, but there are also positive ones that we can have. And so for me, it's about balancing the negative with the positive in the three areas, as you said. So environment, um, economics, and culture. All right. All right. And let's move on to the second, second thing. Does sustainability and travel mean the same? to customers who are the travelers, to tour guides, to travel operators, to accommodation or hotel, uh, hoteliers? Does it mean the same to, to everyone in your opinion? It would be wonderful if it did, <laughs> but I don't know if that's entirely realistic or fair also, you know, to, you also have to bring in, I think, the fact that in each of these areas, there are people coming from different backgrounds. So there are travelers, tour guides, and operators that are very woke to environmental issues, but maybe not the cultural impacts. And, and on the other hand, there are travelers and tour guides and operators who have never even thought about that or how they can actually have an impact. So I think um, it could, at the most raw sense, again, being aware of those impacts, um, but I think practically it it doesn't. I think sustainability and travel is going to be different to a traveler because for them it's about choice how i choose to travel with which companies i choose to travel whereas on the tour operator tour guide size side it's more choice of how i am conducting my business you know who i'm working with and what stories i'm telling so it's it's it could be the same but i think it is going to be different Right. And I, and I try to look at it um, with myself. Like I work for a company that brings volunteers, interns and study abroad groups to Zimbabwe to do their internships and to do their volunteering placements. And the thing that I'm worried about as a provider is to ensure that we are making positive contributions towards the local economy and uplifting the lives of the locals. That's first and foremost. And then I had to start taking into account 
issues around the environment on the traveler's side, primarily because I too am a traveler. And I want to be able to know that, you know, I'm living nothing but my footprint um, as, as we've come to, to talk about. And so I have to wear different hats. And I think those are different elements depending on which hat you're wearing. But sometimes you have to wear all the hats, which brings me to the point of, you know, what, what do we need for each of these uh, different sides to come together in order to commit uh, to a sustainable tourism industry? It, it needs, it seems, it seems like such a challenge um, to have that happen because I think what we need is all three of those bodies to come together to that table to start with, let alone what they'll talk about at that table. I mean, for me, I think it, it, the easiest way would be to start with the customers, to start with the travelers. And I say easiest with air quotes because that would be the easiest to kickstart the cycle because all you need is a customer base who is demanding responsible travel um, elements, you know, and, and we're starting to see that. Um, I think the data that's collected is not perfect because you're, you know, either polling within responsible travel circles or, or cruise circle, which is going to be very different. But I, we are starting to see at least people asking that question to customers in surveys and responsible practices are increasingly more important to people. But is it what is hinging whether they book with company A or company B? I don't think so at this point. So for me, that would be the easiest. Customers are like, hey, it, this is important to me and I'm only going to book with companies who have these values. And then the companies would have no choice. You would have to right now because I work with the other side. I work with the tour operators. I work with the tour guides. The most challenging part of my job is showing them the ROI on having these responsible practices because right now there's really no incentive. You can't necessarily charge more money. Um, you're not necessarily going to have a unique selling point because, you know, responsible travel is such a buzzword right now and it's being greenwashed. And so I, I think it's the customers wanting it would solve everything. However, how do we make that happen? That seems to be a very big challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I apologize that I don't have clear-cut answers for you on any of these. These are just all the things I'm thinking about at night that keep me up. Yeah, but that's the point, right? The point is <laughs> to start a conversation. And, you know, piggybacking on what you were just saying, a lot of our customers are so the so-called Gen Z. And the narrative that's painted out there is that, you know, they want sustainable practices, they demand it. But my empirical research over sort of a 10-year span is that majority of the youth who travel in our programs don't know what to ask for. So in as much as they want to be associated with sustainability, they don't know the first thing to ask for outside of carbon offsets. And, you know, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because there's so much more and a much bigger impact that we stand to, to make um, outside of carbon offsets if we we're just talking about the, the environment. And yeah, it, it goes to the what you were saying about, you know, there's no con co concrete answer to it but also the the clients themselves don't know what to ask for. They don't. And it's what's really hard for me to accept is that, you know, it's actually a much better travel experience from the customer point of view, no matter what type of traveler, whether you're a luxury traveler or you're a budget traveler, um, it's a much better experience because, again, it's so wide what that means. Like you could stay in a luxury hotel using your points and maybe that's not going to be the most responsible choice. But then if that's what's important to you, you can offset that with, um, you know, prioritizing local businesses, which are going to be probably less expensive, much better quality, much better experience. Um, it, it's just 
you know, th- that's a whole nother topic, but it it tends to be a much better experience when you are actually participating within a local ecosystem that's bettering the local environment and economics and culture. Um, however, yeah, to your point, the customer's don't know that. So they don't, if they knew, I think that it was a much better experience, they would ask for it, but because they don't realize that and they don't realize that the options that they have, like, again, is flying terrible? It is, but you, you don't have to give up flying. You know, I'm, I'm a really big fan of not saying all or nothing. And I totally understand and respect the people that are choosing not to fly or to fly less, but you can balance that. You can balance on it from the operator side. It, it doesn't have to be difficult. You don't have to stop giving your bus tours if that is the only means that you have right now within your, your company. And that's what you do. You do bus tours. Great. You can still do bus tours. But then, as I said, offset that with other things to make sure, okay, maybe environmentally you're not all the way there, but you can make sure you have positive cultural impact and positive economic impact. Like we can really, it could really be simple and it could really be a better experience. Absolutely. And on to better experiences, which is part of the reason why we all travel, I think, at, at one point or another, unless if you're traveling for, for business, but even business travelers want a good experience when they are you know, on the road or, or flying. And that goes to the question of how we talk about sustainability within, within travel. I constantly hear it as, you know, it's either somebody is shaming the other person. There's never just a conversation of, hey, you can have a better experience if you go and stay with a host family. If you want to go to Mexico and you want to learn a bit of uh, Spanish, you can stay, stay with a host family. There's never that just conversation where people are sharing information and sharing meaningful travel stories. And even while they're in the destination to say, well, in, instead of this, have you considered you know, doing a walking tour of New York? And, and, and hey, have you heard that? Yeah, they are, have introduced four by four safaris that are have, um, with electric cars. Instead of saying, oh my God, you are using diesel? Um, <laughs> exactly, which uh, tends to be how the conversation goes, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and, and, and it's a pity that we then don't come together in order to, because at the end of the day, I think most people want a really good experience and and a good experience means sustainable because if you can't do it forever, then it's not sustainable. So we have to come yeah. together. Can I give you some examples? Let's do it. I because I feel like this for me is like the real the real changing point when I'm talking with people, especially travelers, because I think there is this connotation of what that means. It's like, oh, that means carbon offset, or that means not flying, or that means not taking the cruise. Um, but okay, so to give you some examples, on the extreme end, you do have tours that are very niche. And I'm going to be talking about walking tours because that is like one of the most sustainable ways to have a really enjoyable um, part of your trip. Um, Because also any walking tour, as a side note, I always recommend you do it your first day, if you can, with a local guide. And then you can ask them all your questions. It's so valuable. You can ask them where to eat. You know, if I'm a female often traveling solo, is this neighborhood cool to walk around at night? Like you can ask them all that information. So always with a walking tour. But to give some examples, on the most extreme side, there is a brand new company in Canberra, Australia called She Shapes History. And um, the two people that started it literally started it as a social activism project. There is a lot of um, increasing violence against women in Australia, and they wanted to do something. And they thought, oh, something we can do is to give tours that tells the stories of these women. It tells the stories of these stats. It it makes this issue um, apparent. And there's a big domestic crowd there with tourism. So it was like the perfect venue. So that's like a very extreme example of how simply taking a walking tour um, is actually an act of social justice, right? You are supporting this company, you're supporting um, queer non-binary owners, shops, and you are taking in this history that you would not hear otherwise, right? That's kind of on one extreme. 
Another extreme is taking a very niche tour in the sense of a neighborhood that's maybe not mainstream. So, you know, you go to Budapest, for example, and everyone wants to go. I don't know. I'm not that traveler, so I don't know what everyone wants to go do. But you want to go to the big yellow spa, <laughs> right? You want to go to, um, I don't know, the big market that's famous. Um, <laughs> my friends in Budapest are going to kill me for not knowing these places. But there is a tour that you can take um, of other neighborhoods. So I went to a tour. Um, I, I don't remember the name of the neighborhood, but it was way off the beaten path. And it was so interesting. You're learning about this neighborhood. You're visiting these local shops that don't see any tourist money. So even though there is a bit of over tourism issue in, in Budapest, these places are like, oh my gosh, tourists come in. We're so happy to see you. So again, that better experience in the shop owners actually coming out to greet you. Um, from the tour operator experience, they're super happy to give you a discount on coffee or snacks because they never see this money. So to them, it's not like, oh no, you have to pay full price like everyone else. It's, oh, we're excited. We're happy that you're here. Um, on that tour, we got to visit an artisan's workshop. We actually went in to see her space and, and saw what she was working on. She spoke to us directly, which is so special. Again, you can't do that seven days a week with a group of 50 people every time. Um, they even uh, finish at a cafe that is all staffed by people with disabilities. Um, so you go in and again, it's a wonderful cafe. It's really cool. It's really, it feels really special. It's very local from a customer perspective. That's exciting to me. Um, but you just so happen to be providing jobs for this demographic that finds work difficult to come upon, right? So that's another maybe extreme example for someone who maybe really does want to see the highlights. But on the other end, you can do highlights tours, right? Um, Invisible Cities is an amazing company based in the UK. They have several cities and they do, for the most part, mainstream activities. So it's a walking tour through the main sites of Edinburgh, for example. But it just so happens that they are a um, social impact company and all of their tour guides were have formerly struggled with homelessness. Right. So you might not know that if like, let's say you and I were traveling and I booked this tour, you might never know that if I didn't tell you that, right. If you right. didn't see their website, right. it's just a tour of the highlights, but you're having this huge impact and you're supporting this company that's providing training and jobs for people again, who have difficult finding jobs. That's a great example. of The perfect in between, I think invisible cities is amazing, but even, I don't know, unexpected in Atlanta, they do food tours. And again, food tours are super fun. It's in major areas, but you wouldn't know this necessarily. They always um, choose businesses that are BIPOC owned or female owned. So your money is benefiting those businesses. There is a, a, a team in Merida in Mexico. This is the last one. I can go on forever. They do this amazing um, home visit where you go, as you were saying before, you go to someone's home, you have a meal, which is so special, so exclusive. But the um, one of the guides, it's his grandmother that you go to his grandmother's house. And so for her, here's an older woman who can't really work, she's getting an extra income. That's hugely beneficial. And not only that, but to talk about cultural benefits, she is not able to travel because of her age, because of her socioeconomic status. She now gets to meet people from all over the world and socialize. And it's so incredibly beneficial for her to have these tours come and visit. But for the customer, it's just this really cool, like, yeah, you can go to dinner somewhere and get street tacos, or you could go to this woman's house and, and get to have a homemade meal. I mean, it's, it's just a better experience. No, Absolutely. It, it is right up there with the with the best of things. And I've been scribbling down notes that you've been talking because whenever I, next time in any of those destinations, I will be saying, Nikki said, go to one, two, three, four, five, oh, six yeah. places. Let <laughs> me know. And, you know, some of these I, I don't give the name because of the pandemic. Companies are in flux and ownership is in flux. But anyone listening to this, feel free to write me directly. <laughs> and I'm happy to connect you with the guides on the ground doing these experiences. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I, I like that because even in places like, you know, Zimbabwe, where we are not known for, for coffee, for example, but we actually make some of the best coffee in the world. We, we don't compete on quantity, but we definitely give everyone a run for their money on quality, right? 
Arabica that is. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we've we've done is to work with the local farmers because they are very small plots of land but they live off of coffee farming. And so one of the products is to go towards particularly harvesting where you can harvest your own coffee from their fields, do the pulping and the roasting with them. Wow. And so it's it's an amazing experience that even locals now love it so much as well to just go because you don't it's access that you would otherwise never get and it's also help that the local farmers would otherwise not not receive you know and and it, it is it all comes down to elements of of sustainability and the different categories of of sustainability that that come with it and like you were saying i think we can talk all day about um the, these examples and so i want to give you an opportunity if any sort of tour or activity still comes to mind feel free to just jump in and we'll be able to just talk about it yeah and destinations destinations if we spotlight some destinations some of your favorite or through people you've spoken to that are leveraging sustainability and i know that this will lead us to the conversation of the effects of the pandemic and of course i will come back to you know your thoughts on the future of travel but maybe for now we can talk about pre covid destinations that were leveraging sustainability well in in your eyes and then we can move on to to the rest of it you know this for me is really hard and and i don't have that many examples because i think it's so hard to pull off because to say that an entire destination is leveraging for responsible travel really means that all these groups that we've been talking about have come together and are working together and it, it's really yep. hard to do yep. cuz you need the government involved it's difficult i mean you know costa rica is a place that always comes to mind um simply because and i don't know these exact numbers but an insane amount of land is protected um they do such a good job it's so ingrained in who they are the education levels on um the environment are incredible i mean just like a basic topic that's happening in school i feel like everyone in costa rica is like a birder and and it's a really expert bird <laughs> um so i think that's a destination where for a lot of different reasons um cuz again they're they're set up very differently than the rest of central america um economically and politically but that just is one that kind of naturally it's just baked in um which is so wonderful so i think there it's much easier to accidentally choose companies that are practicing responsible travels cuz there's so many restrictions um on how you can operate uh but i don't know another destination that comes to mind is iceland not in the sense that they've achieved it by any chance but i think iceland was really one of the first that i think of where the government themselves was like okay the tourism is damaging our place and we need to do something about it so i know even pre-pandemic they were putting limits on people and and they're putting a lot of um advertising out on how to responsibly visit iceland a place that comes to mind recently is amsterdam I recently read this that their new campaign is about how to be a responsible traveler which is very interesting to me um that someone is actually going to make that their marketing and their main marketing and I think it's wonderful and I'm curious to see the results of that and if it has any effects and I know they're also doing a lot And again I'm this is not my area so I don't know the exact rules that were put into place but I know they've done a lot to sort of close down um the type of tourism they don't want so specific shops or activities that you can do they've closed to tourists I believe um to encourage tourists to do things other than you know red light district and um I know what they're called the cafes that you go to where you can legally consume different drugs. Um I know that they're really actively trying to attract a different kind of person. So I'm I'm really curious to see how that works out for them. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a pity when when we talk about traveling to the Netherlands, red light district and the cafes dominate the conversation. But my best times have been in Rotterdam just cycling around going to see the windmills and 
you know, and whenever I share these stories with other travelers who've been to the Netherlands, it's the small villages as such, Maastricht, that people, you know, the, the stories resonate. And I suppose outside of the stereotypical British youth, um, people have a different perspective of how best to travel in the Netherlands. So like you, I am anticipating that, you know, they do start to attract the, the type of traveler who wants to explore more than just Amsterdam. And um, another destination, I suppose, is Bhutan. Although I haven't been there myself, I've just read so much about it. I don't know if you've come across any sort of literature or, or people who talk about Bhutan, because apparently they too have, uh, they've done a carrying capacity for, for tourists. So they, they know just, just how many people they should allow in. And they apparently have a fixed cost, like weekly. So when you get there, you have a guide allocated to you. You've paid for it in advance. They know, you know where to take you. And there's never like a huge concentration of people in any one given area. And I thought that was an interesting model to, to, to have um, as, as a destination. It is. But, and it, I'm very curious. I'll have to look into that and see how that works. But I, I, I do think I think there needs to be some middle ground. Like, to me, that sounds amazing, you know, and, and when Venice is talking about charging people to come in, I was like, yeah, charge the people, <laughs> you know, like limit. But but I, I do, again, I, I'm very mindful that I am not the average traveler. And I do try and keep in mind, like my in-laws, you know, God bless them. They're, they're terrible travelers. They're, you know, <laughs> they, they love the big bus tour, seeing a city every day. Um, but I always have them in mind because who am I to tell them that that's not traveling, right? Who am I to kind of rain on their parade and say, you're doing harm by traveling the way you want to. This is going back to what you were saying originally. How can we instead have this conversation to meet them halfway, add in a little education? So, you know, again, going back to the idea of like the landmarks, how can we, how can they go to Amsterdam and still have the experience that they want to where in a way that doesn't damage the local area. I don't know, like in in um, Venice, for example, you know, everyone wants to do the gondola ride. And you can't, you can't take that away from people. You know what I mean? People want that picture for better, for worse. And, you know, when I was in, in Venice, I'm very lucky to know um, quite a few guides there. And so I love going to Venice because it really shows um, there's, there's a, an, Again, this is very condescending language, right? But I want to say there's a non-touristy way to do everything. But, you know, when I'm in Venice hanging out with the local guides, I don't see tourists. In Venice, I don't see tourists, the places that we're going, the restaurants. So it's possible to do, right? So, But but the things that I do aren't necessarily going to be interesting to the local traveler. I'm not going on a gondola ride, you know? I, I take a lesson with, um, there's this amazing company, Venice On Board, um, and they're just these like three dudes who love boating and they're dedicated to keeping up the traditional culture of boating. I know it's not the proper word, um, boating in Venice and they do it for locals. They want locals to be excited about the marine history of Venice. But I signed up for a class with them and I was literally in an old school Venetian boat, you know, standing up paddling through the canals of Venice. It was amazing. But again, my mother-in-law, that would not be amazing to her. She wants to sit in the back of the gondola on the pillows and have a very handsome man you know, peddling her down. So how can we find an in-between is what I'm always looking for. How can we educate people on, no, it is actually even cooler to drive your own boat through the canals, but it's it's that middle ground that I think we have to find if we can all come together. Right, right. And I think that's that's where the secret sauce is, the middle ground. And, you know, while while we're on the subject of tour guides, is there a sustainable way to travel to a place and not use a tour guide? Can we call that sustainable travel? 
Sure. I mean, again, I think there's options. I think so long as you're hitting one of those three categories that we've talked about and you're mindful that you have more positive impacts than negative, then I think you could do it however you want to. I think the tour guide just makes it so easy to check off tons of positive impacts and with the right guide in the right situation because by no means does simply booking a tour mean that you're going to have a positive impact. That is that is not the common factor amongst tour operators at the moment to be running responsibly. Um, but yeah, I think I think a tour guide just makes it easy when done in the correct way. And you know, this is a very unpopular opinion in my industry, <laughs> but you know, in an ideal world, you would work directly with local tour guides. You wouldn't even need to go through the tour operator. You would go directly to the the tour guide. And whether that's a tour guide who's working solo or a tour guide who works with a couple other tour guides maybe, and they do have a little company together. But the idea that you're booking with a local company, but it's easier said than done. They don't have the money to advertise the smaller the company is. So you can't find them. Um, even if that's the hard part, right? Not to, we can come back to your question, but you know, even if you are a traveler who wants to travel responsibly, I think you said this before, it's very difficult to do that and to choose companies and an itinerary that will help you do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as well, it, it comes back down to even destinations. If you are starting from, from scratch, I know I've I've struggled for years now in in terms of the Victoria Falls because it's our most famous site and, and and place, and it's difficult to try and convince somebody that you know Zimbabwe should be on your travel list without talking about Victoria Falls, where okay. while you know we deliberately made the decision to be based 900 kilometers away from Victoria Falls as a way to try and not add to be just another um, agency that is based in, in Victoria Falls. But I do realize that it is difficult. It's like uh, Venice, as you were, as you were saying, it, it, it's near impossible because then they will, the question is always, okay, I understand you will take me for three weeks to this area that is less traveled and I'm going to love it, but can I book a week in Victoria Falls? And you, and now I've, I've, I've come to accept it because you know, that, that is what the customer wants um, at the end of the day. Um, and so let's move, move on forward to talk about the future of travel. Now, the pandemic has disrupted tour guides, tour, tour operators, whether inbound or outbound. And it is somewhat changing the, the way we travel and the choices because some companies, you know, have gone under and so they, they won't be there uh, come the, the restart or pro project restart. So this means it limits our choices. And on another, on another note, it could extend our choices because on Clubhouse I've met several uh, travel-related businesses that have begun as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, opportunities and challenges, you know, go together. Having said that, what are your thoughts on where travel is headed? Okay, I'm going to try and not get myself into trouble here as I speak. I Oh, no, no. <laughs> go to town. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there's some, you know, there's a lot of change, as you've said. And I think that change could either go well or go badly. Only time will tell. Um, one thing I'm seeing as a trend are, you know, those those middle companies, those tour operators. As you said, a lot of them are going under. A lot of them had, you know, such overhead that they they weren't able to to make it through. Whereas those the really small ones were because you know it's them and their aunt giving tours and they were able to just hibernate. Um, especially if they lived in a country where they were taken care of, which wasn't always the case for tour guides, but for business owners sometimes. Um, but there are these huge companies. So we're talking, you know, OTAs, like um, not these companies specifically, but, you know, Viator, Get Your Guide, those companies, you're starting to see an interest in those huge distributors 
in giving tours directly, which means buying up these tour companies that were going out of business anyway. Um, you're starting to see a lot of tech companies come in um, to start up um, new ways of traveling. So the good in all of that um, could be that, you know, here are the tour operators that, that are about to go out of business. Well, they now get money from these huge companies that have gotten, you know, huge investments over the past year. Um, it was very unequal where the money was going. You know, they're now saved. They now can either exit without having lost everything or they can continue to operate because they have the support of a large company. So that's a very positive thing. Um, these large companies can potentially, if they choose to, raise the rates of tour guides. Tour guides are historically underpaid, even though they are extremely highly specialized jobs. And sometimes they pay a lot of money to get their license to be educated. Um, it's a bare, you know, bare minimum, low wage paying job. So this could be good for them that they could now maybe step into full-time roles, which didn't exist before. Um, and the same with these travel tech companies, they have huge investments. They can come in and directly work with tour guides who have before never realized that they could be their own business, that they are their own business really as a tour guide. Through the, the travel tech companies, they are now able to load their own tours to seek their own customers, set their own prices. So these are all very positive things in my mind. However, it could also go the other direction where tour guides are just taken advantage of even more because they don't realize the huge money that's now at stake. They don't know to ask for a raise or to, you know, put their own commissions on things because tour guides, again, historically, typically do not have those business skills. They're used to working for other companies. Um, the travel tech in particular has been very concerning because they do not come from tourism backgrounds often. They are coming from the background of, you know, venture capitalist startups where it's all about scale. And, you know, like the Uber, like the Airbnb, that scale means you subsidize costs for the customers. And who takes that hit? It's the frontline workers, the Uber drivers, the tour guides. So I do have this like, I don't know, constant anxiety of which way it can fall and sort of what can we do, you know, to to make sure it falls on the right way, which is why, I mean, I I introduce myself often as an advocate for tour guides. That truly is my passion to someone to kind of speak up for them in the industry level because they they don't have a seat at the table where all these decisions are currently being made that directly affects them. So I I you know I have a lot of anxiety over which way it can go. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really can go either way. Uh, but while we while we hope that it goes the the positive direction, maybe you can walk walk us through what customers or travelers can do in order to advocate for you know so that it goes the the right way. Um, what is it that they can do maybe pre trip or while they are in destination? And these can be local or international travelers. Um, what is it? What role can they play in this in this whole um, scenario that might unfold uh, post pandemic? I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's it's hard, right? So I think this is it's it's making the choice that it's going to be a little more difficult to plan my trip um, to do this, and that could be the sole effort that you put in, and it's making a huge impact. You know, the fact that you are going to to vet companies, which is not easy. There is not an easy answer. There's not an easy way to determine if they're being truthful or not, to be perfectly honest, because as I said before, it's become such a buzzword to say local guides and, um, I know, local businesses supported. But I think it's simply asking those questions even knowing in the back of your mind you might not get an accurate answer, it's it's asking those tour. It's first of all to back up. It's going as direct as you can. Again, not a popular opinion <laughs> for my my colleagues, but it's going as direct, doing your as best as you can to search for these tiny little companies that have no marketing budget and no SEO domain authority. Right? It's really doing as best as you can to find them. Um, to be honest social media is a great way to do this. And I know that's kind of excluding a lot of generations who love to travel, but social media going on, finding local influencers and just messaging them, you know, do you know any guides, um, you know, finding these, these companies that are using social media, another company to name drop, 
the Mott Street Girls in New York City. Um, they're three Chinese-American women who give tours of Chinatown, and their entire Instagram is just highlighting local businesses in Chinatown, telling you the owner, the history, what you should order there, how to eat it, defining the food. That is an amazing resource for a traveler if you can find them, right? Because now you can go to all those shops. So it's, it's doing as best as you can that research to go as direct as you can, and then asking the questions you know, how much do you pay your tour guides or how much of this money is going to the the local tour guide? Um, how many of these stops are local businesses or are you going to multinational you know, businesses? And these tour operators might not have this knowledge because they're not always educated on this, but you're doing a huge service and simply asking those questions because the more people that ask those questions, as we said before, the demand will now be there and the companies will then be like, oh, we actually need to start thinking about this. Um, so that alone, honestly, makes a huge difference, doing the research and asking those questions. Other than that, again, walking tours are such a slightly easy way um, to make sure that your money is staying in the local environment. Um, you can book specifically very niche walking tours, um, again, to neighborhoods that are less, uh, or that are off the beaten path. Um, that does a huge help because you're now um, leaving the main touristy areas. So you're going to bring your money elsewhere. Buying things on those tours I'm very fortunate that through my work, I often take um, walking tours for free. So, you know, I, I acknowledge that privilege that I have a, a few, a little more cash in my pocket. But, you know, any walking tour that I go on that visits local business, I always buy something, you know, whether it's an extra food, whether it's, and it doesn't have to be on the tour, I might write the name down and come back later. But going back, if they take me to a local, I know, artisan shop, going back there, buying all my souvenirs there, you know, making sure to frequent that restaurant, frequent that cafe. Um, you can you can actively continue to spend your dollars in these places that you're exposed to through the walking tour. So again, I'm I'm obviously a real proponent of walking tours, but I'll also put out one more um, call to action that I'd love to see: um, local travel. You know, travel travel is incredibly inaccessible and will continue to be even more so after the pandemic. I mean, prices are skyrocketing out of necessity. So the average person cannot travel. They cannot afford to travel. So by choosing to travel locally and calling it that, which is a really important part, you know, like including that in our definition. So to say, hey, travel doesn't mean you're, you know, a tall, skinny, white blonde in, you know, that blue city in Morocco in a flowy dress. That <laughs> if you don't have that picture, you're not a traveler, you know, if we can expand that definition. And again, I'm very privileged to live in New York City where I can go to a totally different country pretty much by going to certain neighborhoods. But but finding those local museums, finding that local history, the local tour guides, you'd be surprised. I think people are like, why would I take a tour of my own town? But you live there. So you pass the same building every day. It might be very interesting to you to learn the history of that building or to learn what shops are um, making a big impact locally, socially, who they're hiring, um, where they're getting their food from, sourcing. You can go back to that shop and support them. I think there's such value in that. So I'd love to see travelers make local travel a thing um, to make that just as popular and just as desirable because then it opens it up to more people. And right now, you know, we can't travel um, to places, especially as the opening of destinations in a post-vaccine world is so inequitable, um, to choose to support your local tourism hub um, because they're not seeing the same international travelers coming back. So you can actually make a huge difference to support them and, and help them out. And I know one last, I have so many ideas. <laughs> one last thing is um, uh, virtual tours. And again, this is where that vetting really comes into place because as I said before, um, this is one of those spaces that tour guides, I'm seeing a lot of them being taken advantage of. So asking the companies what percentage, especially if it's a free tour and tip-based, how, you know, what percentage of those tips are going back to that tour guide? What's the average per, you know, number of people on any given tour? Because you, you know, tour guides who are giving a tour for one person, well, they're probably not making a lot of money from that. Um, asking those questions and taking those virtual tours because virtual tours are, if done well, 
an amazing way for guides to make money moving forward because they can make money on a rainy day. They can make money in the off season. You know, um, it's it's such an amazing way to support local tour guides and again, make travel more accessible by making that a thing. Oh, virtual travel counts as travel. And there's so many benefits to virtual travel. You can test out different places that you're interested in going to. You could vet out local tour guides because most of those tour guides also give tours in person. Um, you can get an idea of where you want to go to. Again, ask those tour guides all your local questions. There's amazing benefits to it. And it's something that you can do um, for less from home. Absolutely. And you know, the it's funny that you were talking about you can be a tourist in your own neighborhood because a few kilometers away from my house, there are bunkers that were used during and post World War II. Wow. And I, I, I live in Zimbabwe. Mm. That's on the continent of Africa. That's mm. the furthest you can get, right? And there are Italian concentration camps a few kilometers from my house. Now, people wow. of my generation don't know this, but there are people who are still alive who know of this. And so one of our tours now goes past it and doing rehabilitation to the, to, because they're also neglected. It's not part of the history that anyone is proud of. Right. So it also is, is neglected. And I can see how nobody, not that nobody cares, because before I got to know of it, I also didn't particularly care about what was happening, you know, a few kilometers from, from my house that, you know, in, in the 1940s, 1950s, these were concentration camps. And when we think concentration camps, we're thinking, oh, Germany. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in, in my backyard, uh, essentially, this, this was happening. And as you were saying, these can be done um, virtually as well. But speaking of virtual tours, the tricky bit is the engagement. So what are your tips to tour guides, but as well as to, to the travelers um, on, on the issue around virtual, virtual travel? Oh yeah, this this could be another topic as well. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of bad virtual tours out there. To be perfectly honest with you, it's, right, right. You know, it was a plan B for a lot of tour guides for a lot of companies. So it wasn't approached in a way that was how can we make a phenomenal experience. It was what can I possibly do while there's no work. Um, and it's, so it's not to say they're not capable, but they weren't set up in the way, they weren't developing the skills that they needed to make them good. That being said, I do think most of those will have dropped off um, once in-person travel starts. So I don't know, six months from now especially, I think the virtual tours that are left are probably people who were doing it well um, because they were doing it well enough to attract more customers. And so there has to be some sort of quality there. But yeah, I think from the tour guide perspective, the thing that is, I think, most overlooked <laughs> But most important is you need to create the tour for the medium. And that might be Zoom. It doesn't need to be a super fancy high-tech system, although you can. Reachable is a company that does really cool virtual tours. There, It's 360, but also live. So you really feel like you're like walking through. Oh, those tours are so cool. So cool. Um, but I think for the guide, it's understanding where you're going to be presenting this and how, and then adapting your material for that. So, you know, a lot of tour guides just took their in-person tour and did it in front of a camera. That does not work um, for many reasons, right? Because that engagement especially, but it's, it's, it's making sure that the engagement is there, but appropriate for that medium. So a lot of this comes down to how you're interacting with the guests and how you're getting them to participate. For a tour guide, you cannot imagine how hard it is to speak into a black void with zero feedback. Um, it's incredible. You know, you, you literally, I say black void, like you can't always see the people necessarily. So you're just speaking to your face, right? Or to a blank screen and guides are used to in-person communication and they're really good at picking up on body language and they can read the room for emotion. All that is gone virtually, which makes it really difficult. So I know if I had to pick one, I'd say my number one advice is make it very clear to your guests at the very beginning of the tour, 
when you're going to open up for questions <laughs> and then make sure that happens. Because I think there's a lot of tension over the guides feeling like they need to answer questions as they come up. And again, in person, a, a guest is going to read hopefully that, oh, the guide's in the middle of a story or the guide's in the middle of something, I'm not going to interrupt now. But you know with the screen, they're just typing out whatever question pops into their head at any time. The guide feels this weird pull to like, oh, I should address the question. And it makes it very interrupted and very staggered. So yeah, I'd say one piece of advice, make sure to announce the beginning. I'm going to be taking questions, whatever it is, halfway through and at the end. So feel free to type them into the chat, but that's the moment when I'll answer them um, to kind of structure the tour a little bit. And for, for guests, I don't know, I guess, um, again, down to vetting, it's maybe seeing if the guide has, I don't know, I don't want to say seeing how tech savvy the guide is because I don't want to eliminate huge demographics of tour guides who just aren't tech savvy in general. But it's you want to kind of make sure that the tour again, was created for that medium. So, you know, looking at the tour description, is it something where you're going to be physically moving through a place? And so is it live? Is it going to be more like a webinar style? And if so, is there going to be, you know, is it going to be lecture style? And is that interesting to you? Kind of really reading between the lines and how they're advertising the tour and the pictures that you can find to determine how you're going to interact with it, if that makes sense. Brilliant. It makes it makes absolute sense. And I can't thank you enough for all of this insight and just incredible stories, taking us all the way to Costa Rica, to Venice, to Iceland. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and talk to me today, Nikki. Anytime. I'm obviously I can go on and on about this stuff. So I'm I'm just happy to have a space to do it. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until next time. You've been listening to The Hive from Teachers of Sustainable Travel. I hope this episode has inspired you to seek or to continue to explore travel with purpose. Join our community on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. And please do subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time we have a new episode. Tatenda, thank you.